6, if you will, Ephesians 6. And again, it is good to see everyone this morning. Uh, for the folks on the Internet, hopefully uh, you're there. We've been having issues there, but we're working that out, I think. Um, not quite sure all of it. So again, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to uh, one more time here about the family and uh, so forth. And then next week we'll talk about uh, verse 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, and then we'll get into verse 10, and we'll do some other things here. So we've been talking about what a spirit-filled life looks like, and uh, we've been talking about the family, and uh, verse number 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And again, that's we were here last time, we were talking about children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And again, we, as parents, and, 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 and I say this thinking and realizing that not everybody in the room is a parent. However, in the local assembly, we have kids and so forth. So really, it, this is instruction to everyone. And it's instruction not only to just mom and dad, the parents, the fathers, but also to grandparents and then aunts and uncles and everybody else that kind of go in. You, you, you kind of have this issue. I said this last week. You, you don't raise kids by a village. I know that's what the modern culture thinks. You raise it in a home, in a family. And uh, you have other people who come in and influence that and impact it. And it's important to understand. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And the struggle begins. You think about this. Here you are. You're, you're married. You got just you and your husband or you and your wife. And you're going and, and things are, you're learning life together. And then all of a sudden you get that, uh, hey, by the way, you're going to be a dad. And it's like, whoa, okay, now what? You know. And uh, when Linda came to, to me and said, hey, we're going to have, you're, you're going to be a dad, uh, I, I literally sat down, you know, because it was just like, boom, okay, now what? Now what do we do? Or now what do I do? I mean, she had had Brian and so forth and had gone through a lot of that, the raising issue, but I hadn't, and I wanted to do it from a biblical understanding of what it was. So you get to study, and the first place it came was this passage, and I just went, I have no clue what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? And, and parents are that way. That's what happens. But then we began to teach the kids and spent time studying and figured some things out and so forth. And you begin to understand that there is a struggle. There's a war that we are in as parents. And the war really is in two areas. One, that little child is going to struggle with obedience because they are a sinner. That's who they are. That little savage is a sinner. And that's what they are. I know they're cute as a button, and you dress them up, and you do this. When the twins were coming, my mom, bless her heart, first grandkids, I, we had closets full of clothes. I finally said, Mom, no more. We don't have any more room. We were in boxes and all. And now, you have to understand, we were in a very small house. You know, our closet was like the size of this pul pulpit. You know, it wasn't very big anyway. So it was just like, all, why? Because they're so cute and all these little dresses for Danielle and little suits for Ricky. And I think they wore one, you know, because she's in Chicago. We're in Arizona. 
You don't wear the heavy-duty corduroy stuff. You don't, you know, you do back there. But you know what it is, is boom, you got this wonderful little baby and everything. Everybody's excited and there is no ugly baby, you know, thing. And yet what happens? They grow up. They turn to those terrible twos and threes because it's depending on the child. And what begins to happen? They begin to want physical the independence. They don't want mom to hold. They don't want dad to hold. They, it's not that they don't need you or want you. They just want some independence, and they're beginning to learn. And you sit there and you go, now what happened? And then you got to mellow it out time there for a little bit. And then the teenage years hit and the tweenies and all this stuff. And now that night, they don't just want the physical independence. Now they're trying to emotionally detach, and they want to become, they're working towards adulthood. And you sit there and you go, oh, my goodness, what happened here? What happened? To, yesterday I was, we were cleaning boxes up. And I found my pictures I used to tote in my wallet back before I went to a skinnier wallet, you know, big old fat dad wallet, you know. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at pictures of the kids when they're little. And I'm like, oh, man, this is so cute little girl. Look at this little boy, you know. And yet, then I'm like, holy cow, what happened? You know, it's like, gee whiz. You know, now they're my kids and I'm prejudiced. I get that. But the thing is, is you're in a war. First, as a cent- they're sinners. That's what they are. They're going to test your patience. They're going to move you. And then you also are at war with the, with the culture around us because the culture, has diff- the culture is not interested in your children being raised in a godly manner and being raised to be grace believers. They're not interested in that. And you know what? When you understand that, and that's, that was all of last week's message, when you understand that, when you come now to the roadmap, to the strategy here, to the, to the strategy of how do I win the war. That's what verse 4 is all about. And just let me say as we begin to look at this verse, just 21 words. Here's the biblical blueprint for a parent. Let me just say, you can't make your kids be something that you're not. And that's perfect. If you raise your children to think that they're perfect, you do them a great disservice. They're perfect in your mind, yes, but they have to understand that, you know what they are? They're a sinner. They have to understand that they're kin to their daddy, you, and you're kin to your daddy, and you go all the way back to a man named Adam, and by one man, sin entered in the world. They have to understand that. They need to get that. In the nursery, in in the Sunday school hour, guess what they begin to learn? That they are sinners and that they need a Savior. They need a Redeemer. And, and I mean, they're learning that little as soon as they can comprehend stuff. Why? Because that's what you're going to do. You need to have to talk to them about what sin is. And by the way, what's, what's verse 1 say? Children, obey your parents, right? So what happens when they disobey your parents? Don't ask them why. You know why. They're sinners. Do you get the hint they're sinners? My little guys, we were at a Bible conference one time, and Ricky and Danielle were in, stro- were in the strollers, so they were little. And a, a, a brother, dearly beloved brother, a friend of mine comes up, and he goes, Hey, Rick, did anybody ever tell you those are sinners? I go, Yeah. He goes, No, they are heathen. And I go, Yeah. He goes, No, they're savages. I'm like, Okay, guy, I got the point, you know. Why? Because that's what they are, right? They, but look at verse 1 when talking about sin. Children obey your parents, right? So your little one disobeys. Did they obey mom and dad? No. That's sin. Why? 
it violated this verse. That's why it's sin. It didn't that they violated you and what you wanted done. What does the verse say? What does the word of God say for children to do? Obey. So when they disobey, they need to understand the consequences for them disobeying you. I got that. But what they need to understand is why did they disobey? It's because of this issue called sin. And that's where the teaching, that's where the training comes in. That's where the educating comes in. Because verse 2 and 3 tell us that obedience has its reward. You're going to live, live long on the earth. That it, verse 3, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. That isn't that you're going to live to 180 with no issues. That's the issue of you understanding that obedience is designed and, and you're to train your children to have an understanding of what it is to be in subjection to authority. And this is where the culture rub comes in. Because in culture, I'm my own authority. And they're teaching kindergartners this nonsense. And you know what? The thing is, is no, they're not. When I drove, when I drove my school bus, those kids, the first day, they knew who was in charge. You know why? Because I told them who was in charge. I had a little girl dressed in a beautiful first day of school, pink little dress and ponytails and all, just all the, and, I, and she goes, you're not in charge. I said, yes, I am. And she goes, no, you're not. And this is like a first, second grader, you know, so getting really kind of mouthy. I go, no, I'm in charge. No, I said, yeah, I am. And you're sitting right there. I don't want to. I want to sit over here with my friends. I said, you don't get to do that. This is the first day. You and I are going to have issues, I can see. I did. Eventually I do, okay? But see, the thing is, is she had learned that what? She was okay. What she said went. Why? Because she was this, and I actually had a conversation with mom, and she's like, well, she is our first. I'm like, yeah, I can tell that, you know, because if she's the second one, she's all right. The third one, you're picking up the scraps hoping to survive, because mom and dad have figured out what's, what's what, right? So, but the thing is, is, no, what, children, the issue in training children is the issue of authority. Disobedience has its consequences as well. That little girl got removed from the bus about three weeks in. <laughs> because you know what she wouldn't do? She wouldn't stay in her seat. I put them in their seats. She got up and walked around. I said, you can't do that. Why? I said, because the rules are you can't do that. Well, I don't care what the rules And she got, and I'm like, all right, you're done. And I had a conversation with her mom at the bus stop one morning. I said, she's not allowed to ride the bus. And here's the paperwork, and here's why. And she just looked at her little girl, and she said, you did this? And then she looked at me, she goes, I don't believe you. And I go, I don't care if you believe me or not. She ain't riding the bus. I slammed the door in her face and drove off. Then I got called to see the office, please, you know. But see, the thing is, is what? disobedience has consequences too. Paul said, look, 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 look over at Galatians 6. Just one verse here. I didn't do an overhead or anything because we're just really just kind of talking with you. Look at Galatians 6. Look at verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know, if you choose to disobey, if you choose to sin, you know what's going to happen? Consequences happen. And if you train your children to do that, and I'll speak to your grandparents, if you have your grandchildren, you need to be in, in alignment with what their mother and father want done. 
sometimes grandparents think they have a get out of jail free card and all they're doing is teaching that little kid something that mom and dad has already said no to that it's okay to to this to let me go to grandma's house she'll let me have it no you got to be on the same page you need to respect mom and dad you know why they're a they're a whole new unit family unit they're their own individuals they're not your children anymore as far as where you can dictate what they do they're married mom and dad their parents are going to dictate that you just get the blessings of having them and sugaring them up and sending them home <laughs> you know you have that here's the struggle go back to ephesians 6 verse 4 hey here's the struggle you're in a war this little verse here 21 words covers it all father and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the lord our job dads Actually, let me say it like this, parents, is to raise them, bring them to spiritual maturity. This verse is, not, is a command verse. It's not a suggestion. It's not a maybe or not. It's in the present tense. It's right now. You know what? That was, the past was 30, two sec, a second ago. That's the past. We're in the present right now. Right now. Not a one-time thing where you sit and you have success for the quiet years, I called them, from about 4 to 10 or 11. They're kind of mellowed out. They're pretty cool, you know. They're helping. They're doing. Man, when they hit 10, 11, whoa, something changes in them, doesn't it? The hormonal changes happen and all this stuff begins. And again, each kid's different. So we're good to go here. Now in these others, uh-uh. No, you know what? It's not a one-time thing. It's an it's a ongoing process as long as they are children. When they're no longer children, you get to stop. Now, who determines when they're no longer children? Well, Galatians 4. Who gets to determine that? Well, the law of the land says at 18. That's culture. I know some 18-year-olds that shouldn't be out of diapers yet, maturity-wise. Can't decide which way to go and so forth. You know who determines when they're no longer children? Dad does. Galatians 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the who? Father. Dads, it's your job to determine. It's the responsibility of the father to have a Galatians 4 type conversation with your children. It's the responsible of the father to sit there and to know his children so well that he knows when they have reached the maturity level and then come and have a conversation and release them to their adulthood. And the moment that happens, they're no longer children in your relationship. They are adults. So you know what we have? We have different types of conversations, don't we? Yes. I can't hear your head rattle, so say yes, okay? That's my dad, by the way. You'll hear things. My dad, boy, anyway, I, we, had a, we had a great childhood, you know. Three boys, and we were into trouble from day one, right? So we were met with the Board of Education, applied to the seat of understanding quite a bit, okay? 
And if you understand that, then I have a flat spot in the back of my head, and that's from mom whacking me. That's what they say. My mom looked at me one, uh, when, after the, when the twins were born. I called my mom a couple months later, about six months later, and I said, I am so sorry. And a couple years later, I am so sorry. <laughs> you know? And she says, well, I thought you'd hate me because I you know, disciplined you so much. I said, oh, no, I'm glad you did that because you know, everything's good. But anyway, it's the responsibility of the father, go back to Ephesians 6, to do what? Hey, it's time for you to quit being a child and be an adult. You see that 6-4, and ye fathers? Again, grandparents, mom and dads, they're not, if they're married... Chapter 5 there, verse 23, for this, shall, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. They're married. They're a new unit. You have no say in that new unit. That new unit say is right there with mom and dad, with husband and wife. And when it comes to the kids, your grandkids, love them and everything. I got it. But your job is not to raise them. It's their job. Your job is to come along and support that. You know what it is to raise kids. You just raised that one. You know what the struggles are. You're to come and help, not detract. Not say, well, my way or no way. No, you're to come in and support that. Now the verse. Fathers. When he says fathers, he's not leaving out mom. He's not ignoring mom. Look at verse 1. Children obey who? Parents. Mom and dad. When he says fathers here, he's not forgetting mom. I, somebody asked me, we were going through the husbands and wives thing, and, and the comment was made that, well, then as a wife, I don't need to learn anything. I got to learn. I said, no, 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 no. In Christ, we're all equal. You need to learn. You need to study. You need to do. But there's an order when you get married. The order is what's the issue here, fathers. The issue here when he says fathers is the authority in the home. Husbands, dads, wives, moms, that authority, that line, that chain of command. Husbands, dad, wives, moms, right? And then who? The children. There's authority here. Growing up, my dad would always look at us and say, children do not make demands on grown-ups. If I hear it coming out of you, you're in trouble. My dad used to, he, we would sit across the room, we'd be goofing off, you know, in the corner, and he would go, we weren't goofing off anymore. I trained my dog to do that. My kids, pff, forget about it, you know. Why? Because we knew if we heard the snap that he saw what we were doing and we were dead meat when we got home. And you know what? Dad didn't forget. We used to, well, oh, man, maybe you forget, you know, maybe Ah, no way. You know why? Because there's an order. So when he says fathers, he's talking to everyone. He's not ignoring mom, but he's speaking to everyone through the head of the family. And again, mom and dad, parents, you got to remember, this is a team effort. It's not a one-man show. I had a guy one time tell me, I said, how's it going? He goes, man, it's tough raising these kids all alone. I go, what do you mean? you got a wife. She goes, oh, no. So he took 6'4", literal. It's my job. And I'm like, really? I go, what about 6-1? He goes, oh, no. It, and no, it's, it's a team effort. Why? You are struggling up against a little dude that knows how to push your buttons. That little blonde-headed little girl over here, she bats her eyes and 
does this. And you know what happens? Everybody in the room falls apart. And she knows it. Yeah, Dad, she... <laughs> and she knows it. And you know what she learned that? Day three. The first two days was just to cry and to scream. and to get... She learned that sucker right. Why? Because she's a sinner. She's got that nature. It's fascinating. Fathers, in the, through the authority structure here. Then he says, provoke not your children to wrath. And that was a head scratcher. Come over to Colossians chapter 3 for me. It isn't. And now I've raised three kids. I begin to kind of understand this about the time they turned 18. <laughs> you know, it takes a life. Somebody asked me one time, why don't you teach on this stuff? I said, because I ain't done raising mine. And sometimes I feel like I'm still raising them, <laughs> you know. Look at Colossians 3. Provoke not to wrath. What's he talking about? Well, look at 3.21, Colossians 3.21, the, the sister verse to it. Sir, uh, fathers, provoke not your children to what? Anger. Lest they be what? Discouraged. So when he says provoke not to wrath, that's going to equal out to provoke not to what? Anger. So the wrath is the issue of anger. Let them not be discouraged. You know what it is to be discouraged? That's to lose heart, isn't it? That's to be frustrated. That, that's to come along and develop a resentful attitude. Bitterness sets in when you're discouraged. Frustration sets in. There's an attitude here. That begins to swell up. Come back over to Romans 4. In, in, your, in, the ch in your children, they become resentful. There's, a, there's an anger that swells up from being provoked. I think about that. We have house rules, you know. And if you break the rules, you're disciplined, Romans 4. And you get disciplined, right? That's not what he's talking about here. Look at Romans 4. Look at verse 15. He's not talking about don't have rules so the kids get away with, with murder. No, you've got to have rules so you can train them to be subject to authority. You have to. They're little dudes. When I drove my school bus, I had a set of kids a couple years that were off of uh, Fort McDowell Indian Reservation. And I, I grew to love those kids. They were saved. They understood who Christ was. We had great conversations about Easter and about Christmas, about the pagan holidays. That's what one girl called it. It's all pagan. I'm like, whoa, come up here and sit down. Let's talk. And you know what they enjoyed the most? I had rules on the bus because I had high schoolers and I had elementary. And usually you don't mix classes but because of the way the routes ran and the time and the, and the distance. And you know what? The high schoolers liked their rules. You know why? Because they didn't want little sisters sitting in the back with them. You know what kids love? Order. Discipline. They love it. They strive for it. So we're not talking, when he says provoke them not to anger, he's not talking about, or provoke them not to wrath, he's not talking about put, not putting rules around them, but rather, look at verse seven, uh, uh, Romans 4, look at verse 15. Because the law worketh what? Wrath. What works wrath? What produces wrath? Putting them under a law system. 
when you put them under a performance-based system, what's going what's to be provoked? Wrath and anger. When a performance system runs your life, runs your family, runs your marriage, when all of that is based on if you don't do, you don't get my love and acceptance, then you know what you're going to create in that child? Do you know what you just created in your spouse? What you just created in your house? Discouragement, bitterness, frustration. Because you're never going to be perfect. That's what the law comes in. All you're doing is you're provoking wrath. Fathers, provoke not your children. Go back to Romans 6. I'm I'm sorry, Ephesians 6. To wrath. Parents, your responsibility is not is to not provoke your child to a life of wrath and rebellion. Again, he's not talking about not having house rules and, and, and things to do, and, because what are they? They're, remember I told you last week, biggest, the rule that got us spanked the quickest was going out in the street. Why? Because as a child, I don't know any better to go play in traffic. As an adult, there's some of you that still play in traffic. We were kind of worried about you. But as an adult, I would know better. How then do I learn that? I have rules. I don't have a performance system. Does that make sense? I'm talking about two different things here. You have rules of the house. When I left home at 18, I went to college. I went to move to California. I moved back home. You know what my dad said when I moved back home at the age of 20, 21? He said, these are the house rules. And I'm like, but dad, I'm like 21. He goes, no, you're under my house, and you're eating my food, and you're drinking my water, and you're paying. And I'm like, dude, dad, relax, man. It's okay. (laughs) And he goes, but you have to be here because your mom wants you here, and you need to know. And I'm like, okay. (sighs) Now, that was internally. I never said that to my dad. But internally, I'm like, whoa, you know why? I respect my father. I would never say that to him. But inside, what am I thinking? You know, what is this guy? But I knew better. I knew what the rules were. You have to know that. The only way to know that is to be educated that way. When he says provoke them not to anger, he's talking about having them be something that you're not, and that's perfect. Now the rest of the verse is going to tell you how to not provoke them to wrath. And that's the wonderful thing here. Because what Paul's talking about here is biblical parenting in the world. You go read the books on how to parent. And basically, you've, they roll out into five ideas about parenting. One of them is the overprotective parent. In other words, you smother your child. When you do that, you know what they learn? They learn that they, have, they can't do anything on them by themselves. They learn that you have to be there for, with them to get anything done. You've seen that over the, the recent years, if you've paid any attention, where moms are going with kids to job interviews and to college interviews. You know why? Kid, can't, kid was never trained how to sit and do and go through an interview on their own. You've seen that. You've heard that maybe. The next one is the permissive parent. That is that little girl in the pink dress dress. Just do whatever you want to do. 
It's okay. There are no rules when it comes to you. So you know, you know what? That child is learning how to pitch a fit when they don't get their way. What's going to happen in life? Somebody's going to tell that kid, I, I, I did on the school bus, you ain't getting that. And there's that. Then you have the perfectionist parent. And you know what the child learns there? They're never good enough. They never get quite to, to the mark. Then you have the authoritarian one. That's the one where the parent says, I'm right and you're wrong always, no matter what. So you know what that child learns? They never do anything right. Everything they do is wrong. And then probably the worst one of them all is the uninvolved parent. And that's, that's where the child is just left uh, on its own, gone. Now you've heard you know, latchkey kids and helicopter parents and all that, that they fit in those groups. By the way, you know what that child learns from an uninvolved parent? That your time as a parent, they're not important enough for you to spend time with them. Now, you think about, what are you doing? You're building up their self-esteem or are you tearing it down? If all they look around and say, well, Dad's too busy, he missed another game. Why? Well, dad's busy. What's dad doing? Climbing the corporate ladder, doing whatever, right? This verse 6-4 says, fathers, that's not your job. Your job isn't the things and the money and all that. You're to provide and take care of, yes, but your job is to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You see, Paul's talking about something different here. He's talking about you need to have a balance in your life. You need to have an understanding of, yes, i got to go work and do and provide, and, but yet i got this family unit over here i got to take care of, and I have to be there for them. And you know what you're beginning to do is you're beginning to have a balance in life, and you're beginning to have what we call a grace life. Because you know what grace says? Think about God's grace. What does God say? I know you. I know everything about you. I know your ups, and I know your downs. And you know what? I loved you anyway. I love you anyway. Think about God's grace. He loves you no matter what you do. And that, that, that's wonderful. You guys look at me like, so, that's an amen, run the aisle movement right there. That, he loves you. No matter what you do. And you know what? You lay some pretty big rotten eggs. You mess up. Guess what? Your kid's going to do the same thing. When you make a mistake, what does God do with you? He takes you by the hand, doesn't he? And he walks you through the issue to a successful resolution. That's what he does. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. What's God do? He takes the Word of God and He begins to take you by the hand, as the song says, and lead you through the issues to a successful resolution. And parents, you're to do the same thing with your child. This is where the provoking issue isn't, is the issue of a performance system. Your child's going to mess up. 
you do. How did the Lord handle you? That's how you're going to treat your child. You're going to teach that child that you're going to treat them the same way God treats you. I'm going to love you the same way He loved me. I'm going to value you the same way He values me. I'm going I'm to esteem you the same way He esteems me. I can't even read my own writing. <laughs> it's pretty bad. No matter what. And let's together work through the situation. That's how you don't provoke them to wrath. You don't put them under, you got a perform or else system. You come over and you say, now listen kid, you messed up and this is why you messed up and let's work this through together. And that means you're getting spanked. And here's why. And you begin to educate or you sit there and you say, hey, we're just going to have a conversation on this one. <laughs> you know? That's how you do it. You look at things the way that God, how does he look at you? Again, the goal is not to suffocate your child. But rather it's to bring them to the place where they are fully functioning grace believers. You remember Proverbs 22? We looked at last time. Flip back there real quick. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Proverbs 22 and verse number 6. One of, the, one of those misused, abused verses. Train up your child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's what Paul's talking about here. When you train up your child as the way he should go, not the way you want him to go, the way he should go. That means you know that child so well, dad, mom, that you're going to help them, you're going to train them in their uniqueness, in their unique personality, in the way that they think, and you're going to train them to understand their identity, not only in who they are as individuals, but now who they are in Christ. And you begin to train them that way, and you begin to impact them that way. And when you do that, you're not provoking them to wrath. Wrath isn't having, you know... When we grew up, we played outside. We hardly ever played inside. We'd come home from school and throw our books down, and Mom would say, do your homework. We already did it, did it in study hall right before the end of the day, you know. That's why we had study hall at the last, last session so you could get it done. Come in, and she'd say, get out. Don't come home until the streetlights come on. Go outside. We were play, we play, and you know what happened? Streetlights were on. We better be home. If not, you're going to hear her voice across three blocks, three city blocks. She's calling you. And if she had to call us, then it was Charles Richard Jordan III, get your in, you know, we're in, you're in trouble. Okay, when the full name came out, we were in trouble, you know. What was great was when she would go, Rick, Jody, David, and she couldn't think, couldn't get us in the right order, you know. It's like, you didn't call me. Oh, she called me, <laughs> you know. What happens? Hey, you're, you're training them in who they are. And in Ephesians 6, verse 4, you know, how you, you know how you don't provoke them? You know them. 
It caused them to understand their identity and who they are and who they are in Christ. And then the verse 4 says, but bring them. Bring them. Don't send them. Don't put this off on someone else. You take them with you. But as you take them with you, as you grow into some spiritual maturity, because you're growing, then what do they need to do? Grow too, don't they? The greatest thing you can do as a parent is as you grow, bring your children with you. That's why the local church is so wonderful. We have the Sunday school program with the kids and so forth. Why? Because what are they doing? They're learning, they're getting it at home, and then they come over here and they get it at church. And you know what becomes? It becomes normal for them. As they grow, you grow. And you know what happens? You grow together. And as that little kid begins to grow and mature and change and develop, you're going to do the same thing just spiritually with them. Then he says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Think about nourish, nourish, nurture. That's feeding them. Look over at Colossians 2. That's putting the food on the table and teaching them how to eat. You ever see the little guys when they first find a spoon? Cruelest thing you can do is put, put uh, peas on there, the real round. Why? Because they roll. Watch the kid. I tortured Ricky all the time. <laughs> you know, I was a, yeah, exactly. You know, why? Because what are they learning to do? It was with these, wasn't it? Now you're going to civilize them so you can go out to dinner and you, you know, teach them to use the fork and the knife and the spoon. Right? Yeah, no, you didn't do it. I did. You had to learn. Nurture. What do you do? You put the food on the table and you teach them how to eat. Look at Colossians 2. And look at verse 19, Colossians 2, 19, and not holding the head. By the way, you see the capital H there? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the problem at Colossae. They, were in the, they weren't in the doctrine correctly. From which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increased with the increase of God. Notice there's nourishment that's ministered. And there's nourishment that helps them increase in the knowledge of God. So you're going to bring them with you in spiritual maturity, and you're going to do it with nourishment. You're going to do it by taking God's Word and teaching it to them. That's what you're going to do. You're going to put the sound doctrine in front of them. Now, they're babes. They're babies. They're little. They're learning. They're growing. But there's no reason why they should never not know the verse, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's the verse they need to know and understand as they're growing. You provide, you the parents, provide the critical information that they need that allows them to understand God's grace. They need to understand what that issues of life really are. It's your job. And that's a tremendous privilege that, to take them and to build into them a clear understanding and a clear appreciation of who they are in Christ. That starts at home. The greatest inf influencer 
in your kid's life is you. Not YouTube. Not the internet. Not Facebook. Not the TV. It's you. The local assembly. Grandma and grandpa are second to you. That's where it counts. Then he says, bring them up in the nurture and what? Admonition. I love admonition. You know why? Because admonition is the issue, it's the idea of to warn someone with the view of changing their behavior. You're in Colossians 2. Look at Colossians 1. The issue of admonition, I enjoy it. I don't like giving it sometimes because it's kind of touchy because usually the givey, the receiver of the admonition doesn't want it because they think you're picking on them when you're trying to help them, okay? Look at Colossians 1. Look at verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach. Who do we preach? Christ. How do we preach Christ? According to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret. Whom we preach, now watch, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that they may present every that we may present every man what? Perfect, mature in Christ. What are we doing? We are warning them. Admonition. Bad behavior. Don't do that. Stop. We're teaching them nourishment. We're putting the food on the table in front of them, and we're teaching them how, to, how to, to eat it, how to get in there and find the, the good stuff. Admonition, the issue of discipline. Come over to 2 Timothy 3. The issue of, of what people like to call chastisement. That word is not in the Scriptures. <laughs> okay? But look at 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 16 and 17, and just notice an illustration here. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine. The communicating of truth. There's the teaching. Here's the nourishment. And you're going to teach your child so that they understand how to think correctly about the issues of life. How to handle when they fail. Because what's going to happen? They're going to fail. What does culture say? Not your fault. It was your mom's fault. It was grandpa's fault. It was somebody, it's not your fault. No, you teach that kid, guess what? It's your fault. Here's why. But then what do you do with them? You reprove them, don't you? You, you instruct them on how to think about, how to think correctly about the issue and then how to go fix and find the answer. So we reprove them. Repro reproof is the issue of bad behavior. They made a mistake. By the way, you make mistakes, don't you? Here's where the reproof comes in. You ought to be willing to take it as much as you like to give it when it comes to reproof. How do I? I made a mistake. Now what do I do? Where do I go to find how to handle the mistake? All Scripture. Then you have correction. There's the fix it. Let's fix the problem. How do we fix it? You know what Paul's doing here? It's the put off and the put on. 
put off that behavior, put on that behavior. Paul tells us uh, we're to speak truth to every man. You know what that means? Don't be a liar. So when I get caught in a lie, what do I have to learn? Don't be a liar. Why? And you run the verses and you educate them on what it is to tell the truth. And why you didn't tell the truth is what got you in the hot water. You ain't getting out of the hot water, but you got to learn how to do that. Come over to Hebrews 5. Great illustration of this. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5, the end of this chapter. Tremendous illustration of moving milk from milk to meat. I'll tell you what, if you want to know where you are at spiritually, these two verses will help you tremendously. Because look at verse 12, Hebrews 5, 12. For when, for the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again the, print, the first principles of the oracles of God. Now, obviously, he's talking to the Hebrews, he's talking to Israel. But now watch. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You're a juvenile. You're a spiritual baby if you don't understand how to handle the Word of God. You don't have enough necessary information to put it all together. So what are you? You're a baby. You're a juvenile. You follow that? Now watch verse 13. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those, now watch, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Who gets the strong meat? The adult. But notice in the verse, it's the one who by use of the scripture can do what? Discern good from evil. That's what we want for our children. It's to bring them along to adulthood so that when they get over here in adulthood, they can use the Word of God rightly divided to discern, to make decisions between the good and the evil, the right and the wrong. Paul over there in Philippians 1, he says, Hey, that your love may abound yet more and more in all knowledge and judgment that you can do what? You can pick the best thing on the table. You can exercise that. I butchered that verse, sorry. Philippians 1, verse 10, that you may approve things that are excellent. There you go. <laughs> Come back to Ephesians 6. You see, when we talk about raising kids, this verse nailed it. You don't need to read Dr. Spock and Mr. Who or whatever out there. I don't even know anymore. You know why? Because they're going to give you the psycho babble of the world system. That's what they're going to give you. What you need to do is get in the book over here, take that nurture and admonition issue, you run it all the way back to Genesis 18, where Abraham's going to teach his kids and God knows it and instructs him, and you run it through Genesis and Psalms and Timothy and Joshua, sorry, and Deuteronomy and Proverbs and Isaiah, and you know what happens? Hey, you're going to write this, you're going to do this with that kid, you're going to instruct them, you're going to train them, you're going to bring them to maturity. Everyone in the room is different. Guess what? Your kids are the same way. 
And our jobs as parents, fathers, is to bring them to adulthood, to bring them to the place where they're able to think for themselves and to ultimately be independent of mom and dad. Will they make mistakes? Yep. Will they break your heart? Yep. You know why? You did it. You better be on the phone. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. Because you did it. And you know what? That's okay. Because how are you going to view them? You're going to view them the way God views you. You're going to come along and you're going to take them by the hand. When you do that, you know what they understand? They are not alone when they fail. You're going to remind them that Christ died on the cross for that failure. Don't, when Christ died for your sins, he didn't hide from your sin. So don't hide the mistake. Learn from it. Don't put the, the, your children under an unrealistic expectation that they will never meet, that they'll never make a mistake. Or they'll never have your approval and acceptance. But rather, let's put them under the grace and the love of God. And bring them with you as you grow into some spiritual maturity. Through the nurture and the admonition of the Word of God. And when you do that, you set that kid on a course that... Verse number three is talking about, and that it will be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. We're not talking about some kind of hoodly doo boom, but rather we're talking about taking who you are in Christ, taking who they are in Christ, and working together. Fathers, falls to you, Dad. You're the head of the home. Mom, you're the teammate. You're the assistant coach. You guys better be on board together and work it out. Because that kid needs you more than ever to put in front of them how it is to be and what the issues of life are and how to handle them. The greatest thing you can do for them is to love them, even when they mess up. First thing I used to tell my kids was, I love you. This hurts me more than it hurts you. And they're like, yeah, right. <laughs> Well, as they get to be adults, guess what? They'll understand that. I didn't when my dad said that to me. I'm like, yeah, right. You're not the one limping for three days, you know. But yet have the little guys, and guess what? It breaks your heart. By the way, if discipline doesn't break your heart, you need to be rethinking your heart. There's a problem, okay? Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bring them to their adulthood. Bring them with you. As you grow, they grow. And let's let the nurture and admonition of his word be the key. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the folks here willing to come, to sit, to be taught, to learn, to be instructed, to, to get into the scriptures and to dig it out. And I just pray, Lord, we do that for your honor and your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.